preparing for his disciples to go out and do something very special. We're not going to talk so much about what uh, he did in sending them out as the identification of these people. The 10th chapter of Matthew begins in this way. He called his 12 disciples uh, to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to cure every kind of disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus, Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot who betrayed him. Have you ever been involved in trying to get a brand new program set up, called together as a part of a task force. A task force is a group of people called together to accomplish one very specific purpose that may have some long-term results. Who do you want to have on the task force? You want to have some people who are outspoken and creative with ideas? Do you want to have some people who are experienced to have just a little bit of background and have been around the track a few times in life? Do you want to have some people from a dissonant background, people who may come from a different sort of heritage than what you've had? If you're a man, do you want to make sure there's a woman on this task force so that you don't miss some of the insights that... We guys tend to overlook when we get together without any female input. And if you're a woman, do you want to get a, make sure there's a man on the task force? It all depends. I, I'm guessing this Women's Day program doesn't have a lot of masculine consultation on it. It was their task force. But we try to get a diverse group of people. Jesus called together a task force. This list of people is a group of people who were being commissioned right at that time to go out into a special task. And furthermore, they're identified on beyond uh, this moment as the 12. People who were going to be that group of individuals who were leaders in helping the church to be Christ on earth in the midst of the people. Now, he did not just call them all of a sudden. We have this listing right here in uh, Matthew 10, but you can, you know from your scripture, you've seen other places where he saw some people and said, follow me, and they did. There have been different ways of contacting him. In many ways, what we have here is his uh, just identifying out of a group of people more than just these 12 who had been following him. He was developing quite a bit of attention. But for these, uh, you are now in a special role. When they chose to follow him, do you think they understood what was going on? It was not uncommon for a rabbi 
a rabbi to a rabbi is a teacher, a, a scriptural teacher, to have a group of people who would be following him. And usually it was, well, it's a little bit like a Bible college or a seminary education, except it's on the go. As Jesus goes, he's teaching. And then after he's teaching, they would be typically sitting down someplace where they're going to be saying, now when you said this, Jesus, what did you mean by that? Oh, now I get it. And by the way, what's this all about? And we saw this question over here. You hear some of that kind of discussion as you read through the Gospels. There's also the question of whether they fully understood where it was going. I think they probably understood that they were to travel with this rabbi. And furthermore, they were developing the sense that this rabbi is more than just one more teacher who's out there in the countryside because, well, early indication was this may be the Messiah, the one that God has chosen and anointed to bring about something that we Jews had only been hoping for for all of these years. But they had a hard time engaging what that really meant, and therefore they had a little bit of a hard time understanding what it meant for them. But Jesus did call this rather diverse group, just like Jesus may be looking today at a small congregation set on a hillside in western Illinois, and he has called this group. Let's look at the group that's listed right here just a minute. I think it's kind of uh, fascinating to look at who Jesus chose to be his special 12 people for the next stage of what the gospel was going to be doing. First of all, he called two brothers, Peter and Andrew, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. Peter... You know this person. He, he may be the most fascinating personality among the disciples. He was impulsive. He was impertinent. He was impatient. Uh, it was hard to guess just what was going to come out of his mouth. Now, there's no question that when Jesus called him, he called a person who was going to be a great leader. His professional... Uh, background wasn't all that great. He was a professional fisherman. I don't know how that sounds to some of you guys. How about saying, your job is to go fishing every day. Somehow that seems a little bit appealing, but it was hard work, and it was not standing in waders in a beautiful mountain stream uh, casting for trout. It was hard, hard work. I don't want to try to psychologize or diagnose every one of these people, but Peter shows a particular behavior pattern that we've come to understand in our era with some different phraseology. I have no doubt that Peter would probably have been uh, diagnosed as an adult 
person with ADHD, attention deficit hyperactive disorder. Have you ever heard those words? Uh, Some of you parents have heard those words for sure. Teachers have dealt with people who have that kind of uh, disorder. It's not necessarily immobilizing. If, If you happen to be a person who has that, you know that your mind is racing more rapidly than the minds of most of the people around you. It doesn't mean you're smarter, but they, you are getting there more quickly. And the person with ADHD can sometimes jump to some marvelous conclusions way ahead of everybody else in the room. Or sometimes just jump off a cliff uh, because there's the urgency, a sense of urgency. You got to do something. You want to keep moving. You you want to keep active. And Peter shows some of that pattern. He sees this wonderful scene on the Mount of Transfiguration where Moses and Elijah appeared. And, Lord, Lord, hey, let's let's build three tabernacles: one for Moses, one for Elijah, and one for Jesus. And all of a sudden, there's God speaking from heaven. This is my son, listen to him. And Peter said, oops. Well, that's not in the text, but I'm pretty sure he said something like that. Uh, And yet this man... Well, he, he would overstate himself. Jesus would say things like, you will... Uh, deny me. Oh no, Lord, absolutely never will I deny you. And probably not much more than 12 hours later, he's in a courtyard while Jesus is on trial, and a young woman asks him, weren't you one of those who were following Jesus? And his response, I don't even know who you're talking about. I don't know that man at all. Overstating, but... Jesus called him, and Peter eventually did some wonderful things. In fact, it was, G- it was Peter who was the first one to be able to articulate that very, very clear statement about Jesus. Jesus said, who do men say that I am? You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. He moved well with his anxiousness to speak, but now speaking with insight. Jesus called him, and he answered. His brother Andrew was also called. Interestingly, it was Andrew who called Peter, told him, hey, we have found the Messiah. That's very close to the statement, you are the Christ. He identified that for his brother Peter. Andrew otherwise didn't draw nearly so much attention. Well, it it was Andrew who uh, commented when there was a need for dealing with a group of 5,000 hungry people and everybody said, what are we going to do here? Well, it was Andrew who said, hmm, I found a kid who brought his lunch has about five biscuits and a couple of fish, but that's not going to be any good for this group. But he at least had the ability to wonder. We don't hear him speaking out a lot, but he was present. He was called. Andrew was called. And he responded. 
And then two more brothers were called in the text, uh, James and John. These are the sons of Zebedee, who are also collectively called the sons of thunder. What do you suppose that means? You probably have seen sometimes where uh, you've got a group of young people together and all of a sudden here come a couple of brothers who are particularly noted. And as they walk through the door, you say, here comes trouble. (laughs) I think that's what James and John did. They were always noted. Now, they were two somewhat different personalities. John did have a particular kind of sensitivity. It was John who was one of the two of the apostles who wrote a gospel. And John's gospel is different from Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Not because it's telling a different story, but because he sees it from a different kind of angle. And John does bespeak some of the more sensitive and emotional issues. It's John, for example, who details the very special relationship of Mary and Martha and Lazarus to Jesus. It's John who identifies the pain that Jesus had in dealing with the death of Lazarus as Jesus wept. It's John who speaks in a little bit of a philosophical way rather than going back and detailing what happened when Jesus was born in Bethlehem, placing it in a larger context. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the Word was God. And there he presents Jesus as the very pronouncement of God from the beginning of the age. He he gets to the story shedding a different kind of insight. James, a little less noted, but Peter and James and John were the three who were in that so-called inner circle whom Jesus called out even separate from the rest of the apostles when he wanted to do something very special, like pray, for example. And yet, these two brothers also could be rather contentious and cantankerous. Uh, These two brothers... Well, as their mother gave the kind of stereotype of the Jewish mother. Do you remember that incident? When the mother of James and John, Mrs. Zebedee, I guess was her name, came and said, uh, Jesus, I want a, want a uh, special favor from you. My boys, you know them, James and John, they're fine boys, aren't they? Uh, it's a small thing I ask. When you come to your kingdom, uh, could you just put one of them on your right hand and one on your left? It's like saying, when you're king, make one of them your prime minister and the other your secretary of state. I know you can do that. That'll be all right. Won't you do that for me? That did not do a lot for building unity among the apostles. The rest of them did not seem to appreciate that special push. They may have resented that their mama didn't try to run interference for them. But these two brothers, who could be loving and tender, and who could be competitive and contentious, Jesus called them, and they responded. 
Peter, Andrew, James, John. Oh, Philip, Philip. Now, Philip doesn't draw a lot of attention, but he really does demonstrate a kind of evangelistic spirit. Philip is the one who uh, had a practical sense of what to do when he looked at this 5,000 crowd that was there to be fed. He really quickly did the math, and he said, you know, if we had as much money as a person would make in about two-thirds of a year, that wouldn't even be enough to buy hors d'oeuvres for them, give them one bite to eat each. It just isn't enough. But he was the one who brought another apostle to meet Jesus for the first time. He uh, again said, come, meet this man, Philip. Not very noisy, but he was called and he answered. And then the next man, Bartholomew or Matthew, uh, excuse me, Nathaniel as he's he's also called, uh, he's one who shows the first level of skepticism that we see. He was the one who when Philip told him about Jesus from Nazareth being the Savior, asked the question, Can any good thing come out of Nazareth? That's like saying, can any good thing come out of Port Byron? (laughs) Can any good thing come out of Rapid City? It's just that that look and say, hey, can you expect the Lord to be working in such a remarkable way when he's coming from just ordinary people in an ordinary place? Well, he began to see it eventually. So, but his skepticism was there. Jesus saw that from the beginning. Jesus pointed out that he knew what was going on in his life. He said, I knew you even when you were sitting under a uh, tree uh, just a little while ago. Before he even saw him. He was called and he answered. And then... Peter, Andrew, James, John, Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Thomas, also called Didymus. Didymus means the twin. Are there any of you here who are twins? No twinny? Oh, oh, we do have some twins here. Okay, you, you don't listen to this. I want to talk to everybody else about twins. Actually, you know, twins aren't necessarily any kind of a problem. They are, they're a real challenge. You talk to any mother and father who have had twins, and my, their life is really full for a while. Sometimes especially a challenge at the point of birth because the womb gets pretty full with uh, two womb mates in it. And uh, so the twins are sometimes born prematurely and a lot of special medical attention has to be given. Now, often twins are uh, confused to other people because these two little children look so very much alike. Sometimes they're even identical. And so we get confused about them. And sometimes that means they're always being called by the wrong name. I had a couple of uh, men who were identical twins. In fact, 
they, they were students of mine, but they were identical twins in a set of triplets. The two of them were identical. Their sister, who was also born, was by no means identical to them, however. But uh, I'd see them sitting in a class, and they, they kept trying to differentiate themselves. One would sit over here and one over there. But if I'd say something that was a little bit puzzling to the class, and I'm looking around, I could look over here and see Mike, and he'd be looking like that, and look over on the other side, and there's Dave looking like that, usually the other hand drawn up. But uh, And it's as though they had a special mystical communication of, uh, between the two of them. Twins do have a challenge to identify their own distinctiveness in life. And it is interesting that twinning I presume you two don't immediately get called the twin by everyone, but that was his nickname. Somehow he was still known. Now, I wonder if that identity issue for him might have fed into his deep skepticism. Can you imagine a skepticism after three years of traveling with Jesus, hearing him teach, seeing him work miracles, seeing him predict everything that had happened all the way through the death, burial, and then hearing about the resurrection with all the rest of the disciples saying, we've seen the risen Lord, and say, I won't believe it until I can put my finger into the nail scar in his hands and thrust my hand into the side where the spear penetrated, I won't believe. That's a pretty deep skepticism. Fortunately, he was given to overstatement because when he did meet the resurrected Lord, it was not, let me do that, but rather, my Lord and my God. He was called, and he responded. The next person is Matthew. Oh, do we really want that? Do we want a tax collector? Now, this is not just any tax collector. He's not working for the Internal Revenue Service, which we all know and love so very well. He's working for the Internal Revenue Service of Rome whom the uh, Jews weren't especially appreciative of. Rome wasn't invited in to help them run their country. Rome took over forcefully. And he was collecting taxes. It's kind of like being back, oh, say, about 1865, 66, being an internal revenue agent for the government in Washington collecting taxes in Mobile, Alabama. They may not feel especially good about collecting taxes to send to that Yankee capital back up in Washington, D.C. But that's what he was doing. Now, that's a problem enough. Jesus got criticized for hanging out with tax collectors. Remember that? That was one of the rumors. He hung out with publicans and sinners. Publicans were the tax collectors. Brought some criticism. But what do you have? Any of you dealt with a a, a tax auditor? 
I hope that you haven't had to too much, but yeah, some of you have had the experience. One of the things we do note about such people, they tend to be uh, like, like certified public accountants. They deal with figures, details, math, and they tend to be pretty quick at, with that. They're paying attention to things that most of us don't pay attention. And sometimes they're wanting to know, you know, you look through a whole tax return. What about this item over here? Just one little thing that caught their eye. Well, I'm wondering if that capacity for the attention to detail is part of why Jesus called Matthew. Matthew was the other of the apostles to write the gospel. And his gospel is longer than the others because he kept noting detail, detail, detail. It may be that his special detail attention was enriching to the work of the apostles. Uh, apostles as they worked together. Jesus called him and he answered. Philip, Bartholomew, Thomas, Matthew, James. Didn't we have James already? Oh, this is James the son of Alphaeus. Sometimes called James the less just because he didn't seem to say much. There was never much noted. Yet this James... Go forward about 15 more years after the resurrection, and there was a big gathering that took place in Jerusalem. It had to do with the very issue that some of you were involved with in your Sunday school class this morning, where you're talking about Galatians. It was a question of whether or not Christians could become Christians through faith in Christ, or if they had to like most of that initial crowd on Pentecost, if they had to be Jews first, and did they have to go through all of the being introduced into Judaism and taking all the rituals and all the patterns of that that were pointing forward to Christ, or could they bypass that and simply become Christians? And when this gathering came, there were three great speakers, Peter, Paul and Barnabas, all people who were forceful in their speaking. But after they had done it, a man who's a leader in the church in Jerusalem, one James, apparently this James right here, stood up and he said, we believe that nothing should be done to keep Gentiles from coming to Christ. Now, is that important to us? I don't know. How many Jewish people are here in our congregation this morning? Doesn't seem to be many, or any perhaps. We are in Christ without having to go through that ritual of becoming identified as one of the Jewish people. There is no barrier. And it was James, this quiet, little-spoken apostle who gave that clear statement to the church forever and ever. It's right there in the 15th chapter of uh, the book of Acts. James was called, and he answered. Then there's a man by the name of Thaddeus. Thaddeus? I don't recall him ever 
being mentioned with any specific action throughout the Gospels. That's kind of intriguing. Was he there? Apparently he was there. You know, there are some people who, on a board, if you look at the minutes, you'd wonder were they there or not. And yet, they're there. They're helping to form ideas, form conclusions. They're just not the ones who are making motions and seconding them and raising a lot of question. It is interesting, though. He was with Jesus, with Jesus in the Healies. He was one who was commissioned right there in this 10th chapter of Matthew. There's another name that he has. It's Judas, or maybe you've heard it expressed this way. Have you heard the name St. Jude? Ah, a really remarkable medical program that has turned around uh, childhood cancer. In the time since St. Jude was established in 1962 to now, childhood cancer has gone from 80% mortality to 80% cure. And they've chosen as their key person, patron saint, so to speak, this Thaddeus, St. Jude. The tradition is that he was a specialist in bringing the healing of Jesus Christ to people. And then, James, there's another Simon, Simon the Zealot. This is Simon different from Peter. Zealot, he was a political radical. Do we want political radicals? You know what political radicals are. They're people who differ from my opinion significantly, and I find it pretty frustrating. (laughs) These radicals were uh, obsessed with getting rid of Roman power. And Simon the Zealot came in. He may initially have thought, ah, this is going to be good. But apparently he found it's more than just a political issue. Jesus is about transforming the world and changing you. And he was also called. And then one last one, Judas, Judas Iscariot. You probably haven't fully realized, but Tom Ewald, who's been doing a good bit of the preaching here lately, is a world-class expert on Judas. He has collected a uh, level of uh, insight and material that is beyond any other scholar that I am aware of. And so we ought to just turn this over to him, but he knows so much he would take another hour just to get it out. So we'll... uh... (laughs) Judas was a liar and a thief. Incidentally, thieves always lie. That's pretty reliable. He was a liar and a thief. He was greedy Why did Jesus call him? I'm convinced that Jesus called him because Jesus saw some potential in him. Jesus saw what could be done if this thief, if this criminal-minded person were to be really transformed by Jesus. And he came close, but he resisted. 
And so he's listed as Judas, who also betrayed him. And Jesus called him. He only partly responded. Well, that's the group. Quite a motley group, isn't it? Don't know what they can possibly do, except (laughs) they did seem to change the world. These are the ones who challenged the entire culture from the day of Pentecost forward. These are the ones who changed things. I didn't even mention about Thomas. Thomas is uh, noted in India. If you travel to India along the Malabar coast, down along below Bombay, they have what's called the Martoma Church, the church that Thomas started. He's reputed to. They're really quite convinced it was Thomas who in that very first century went all the way to India carrying the gospel. Um, These men traveled the world as far as the world was understood in that day, and we are the better for it. Did you recognize yourself in any of these personalities? You see, Jesus has called us. Jesus has called Countryside Christian Church to follow him. Now, it's my conviction that some of the greatest days for this church are ahead, and you may be on the doorstep right now. But the greatness of this church is not going to come because you have a wonderful symbolic location on a little prominence looking out across this vast prairie floodplain below you. Um, Location won't do it. It's a nice setting, a good setting that God can use. Your greatness won't be because you have a really good preacher. It sounds like you have a really good preacher coming. But that alone won't do it. The greatness won't be because of your fantastic worship leadership team, because of your excellent elders, because of excellent Sunday school teachers, because of a whole bunch of very good cooks that I've (laughs) sampled a little bit of your wares. The greatness of this church will be because both individually and collectively, You've heard Jesus call you, and you'll decide not just, well, I'll sort of watch it and see how it goes, but you rather will say, I will follow. And when God, God's Son works in your lives individually and collectively, the world doesn't know what's going to be uh, done within its midst because you will be community, culture, transformers. They were called back then. They changed the world. We are called today. Let's us change the world too for Jesus Christ. We're going to be singing a hymn of decision. It's a good one as a hymn of decision. I have decided to follow Jesus. You may want to make a statement about that as we sing it today. Would you?